Look at the person next to you. Tell them, what are you looking at? And, and I'm definitely aware that in New York, you cannot stare at somebody for more than three seconds without not being asked this question, but be confronted with this question. What are you looking at? But today we're not going to be in a hostile environment. Uh, we're just going to be, that's just going to be the theme of our talk today. And, and maybe you need a more spiritual answer or a spiritual title. Then the title for you is, is this, come and behold him. Come and behold him. But for the rest of us, the title of our talk today is, what are you looking at? And I want to preach to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And here's what it says. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see. What are you looking at? They can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into the glorious image. I want to read it from the New King James Version. And it's simply, I love the way the King James Version puts it. I think I, there we go. It says, but we all with unveiled face beholding that's the word i want to unpack for us today it's this word beholding as in a mirror the glory of the lord and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the lord we are being changed from glory to glory look at a person next to you tell them what are you looking at no, no, but this is a good time to mean what you say. So look at the person on the other side. Tell them, what are you looking at? Help me pray. God, we just thank you, Lord God, for your presence in this room. We thank you that you are speaking to our hearts. You're speaking to our soul, Lord. Help us hear and see you for who you are, God. I pray that our hearts would be open to receive all that you have to deliver in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's people shout, amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a strong clap offering of praise? Um, I, I want to ask you this question, and, and, it's, and it's a genuine question, but I, I want you to think about it as you, you, you answer this question. Has anybody here ever been mesmerized? Anybody ever been like, Nobody? Nobody's ever? It's just like, husbands, this was a perfect time to be like, yes, every morning when I wake up next to her. Perfect time. No, but have you ever been like mesmerized? Like when something has just captivated you, like when something has caught your attention? I'm not talking about like when uh, Lisa watches a Jason Momoa movie. I'm just talking about when you are mesmerized and captivated, when something has you like awestruck. And, and I, don't, I don't kid to you not even a bit. I don't lie to you a bit. I don't exaggerate you to you a bit. But on August 27th of 2011, 12 years ago, I'm not exaggerating. I promise you, this was my wedding day. And on my wedding day, before I get to the, the part where I was awestruck and mesmerized, on that wedding day, I mean, everything that you would ever not want to happen on your wedding, for whatever reason, scheduled it on the calendar of my wedding day to happen. For starters, here it goes, a hurricane. 
happened on my wedding. I needed confirmation. I didn't need discouragement. Come on, somebody. I mean, a hurricane happened on my wedding, and because of the hurricane that occurred in my wedding, let alone that the bride, the, the wedding was happening in Staten Island, and the bridges were closing, and the bride of the wedding lived on the other side of the bridge. She didn't live in Staten Island. She lived in Brooklyn. That's where she lived, and, and uh, if that wasn't bad enough, she might not have been able to make it, but if that wasn't bad enough, the person that was going to marry Lisa and I lived on the other side of another bridge called the Gothos, named Pastor Marquez. He might not have made it to the wedding to marry us. People were texting me and calling me and looking for directions. Some people who were planning to be at the wedding were like, listen, we love you, but we don't love you like that. I ain't going to risk my life in the middle of a hurricane. So I was scared with a little rowboat trying to get out of this situation. I mean, even our plans for the reception had to be canceled because everything was shutting down. But then something amazing happened. The bride walked in the room. I wish I was fabricating. I wish I was lying. But when I tell you, when Lisa at that moment named Lisa Roman. God was telling her, Roe is your man. Roe, man. He was telling her from the get it. From the get. He was like, Roe's your man. Like, you be, like Lisa Roman walked into the room, and I promise you, I was so captivated and mesmerized by her beauty that my face started leaking. Tears started running down my eyes. I was just so blown away by her elegance that I began to cry. I was awestruck. I was completely captivated, mesmerized by Lisa. I had never seen anything more beautiful than Lisa Roman on that wedding day. When she walked down that aisle, it took my breath away. I wish I was here telling you this because I'm trying to score points and because I'm trying to be good at, at giving compliments. I promise you, everything about that moment had my attention on Lisa. My eyeballs were on Lisa. I was fixated on Lisa. I was mesmerized by Lisa. I was enamored with her beauty. I was caught up. I was not, I was not on some, you know, like, oh, she's just a nice little thing that's coming in here. No, I was caught up in the beauty of Lisa. There was nothing else that captured my attention. I wasn't, see, nothing else mattered at that moment. Not the hurricane, not the people who came or didn't come, not the reception that couldn't happen. All that mattered at that precise moment was, was her. She is all that mattered at that moment. Now, now here's why I'm saying this. Because I think that there's a concern we should have of the church. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm not talking about this house of worship. I'm talking about the entire church at large. That can it be that we have gotten so caught up with the secondary things and the ancillary things of Christianity and the doings and the don'ts and, and the ups and the downs that we have, we have forgotten to be caught up and mesmerized by the majesty of Jesus? Can it be that we have gotten so caught up by all the other things that pertain to calling and pertain to doing and, 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 and lost sight of just being in the presence 
of God. See, when, when, when Lisa walked in, I wasn't just looking at other things and I wasn't just like, well, okay, the bride walked in, but I still got to uh, attend to this and I still got to do. No, she caught my attention. And I think sometimes God's people have been caught up with everything around Jesus that we have lost our ability to be fixated on Jesus. And the apostle Paul, I mean, he says this word, he says, he says, um, behold the glory of God. When we talk about glory, we're talking about his person. We're talking about his weight, the weightiness of God, the essence of God. Behold the glory of God. And God makes this invitation to us all that our job is not to do, that our job is not to make happen, that our job in our journey and the invitation that he gives us all is would you come and behold his majesty? Would you come and behold his glory? Would you just get caught up on how beautiful and how magnanimous and how, how magnificent his glory is? Would you come and behold the presence of God? Would you just become in love with his beauty? Would he just capture your attention where you just ignore everything else around you and everything else that's happening would you just become enamored with his goodness and fall in love with his presence would you behold his his glory would you be captivated and mesmerized by Jesus and I love the language that the apostle Paul uses he says but we all with unveiled, unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. And so when we read this word behold or beholding, oftentimes we kind of glance over it. We kind of pass it by. But this word beholding is jam-packed with definition. It's jam-packed with goodness and understanding. When you hear this word behold, what he is saying is, is this, it's this idea of gazing upon to observe is that you're gazing, you're not glancing. You're gazing. What are you looking at? You're, you're beholding. Uh, some of the words that kind of uh, can help us in understanding uh, this idea of beholding is that you are giving your full attention to. You are giving your full attention to. It's not a moment, it's a meditation. It's, it's not just a subtle stare. It's not a subtle look. It's a passionate stare. You are, one commentator says when the apostle Paul uses the word beholding, what he is saying is to behold is to be captivated by his glory. So that when the verse says beholding as in a mirror, the glory of God what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to us is, are, are, are you, are you, have you given your full attention to? Have you given your full devotion to? Has God captured your attention? Are you a, a captive audience to the glory of God? He says, now that the veil has been removed, now that your eyes have been opened, are you using those eyes to be distracted by other things? Or are you completely captivated by the beauty and the majesty of the presence of God? And so throughout the Bible, what you will find is that over and over again, there's these moments where God is making an invitation. And what he's saying to us, he's saying, hey, I need you to look at the beauty of Jesus. And I'm just like, why is there such a focus to be captivated by Jesus? 
That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, it's nice. I go to church. I sing the songs. I, I, I worship. I throw the worship team off when I sing off cue from the stand over here, from the ground over here. Like that, that. No, he's like, I want you to be captivated by the person of Jesus. And I think sometimes it could be confusing because you could be caught up with the things about God, but oftentimes not get caught up with God. We, we can be in our church service and on our cell phones and doodling and, and, and God is saying, hey, my presence is here. And, and this can become routine when God wants us to reflect. This can become ordinary when God wants us to be enamored with his presence. When God wants us to be caught up. And so oftentimes we will see in the Bible over and over again, we will see this invitation. Hey, look at my son. Behold my son. Behold his presence. Behold so that you can see. Uh, I love this passage in Matthew chapter uh, 3 verse 16. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately, by the way, this is going to be a treaching. You know what a treaching is? A preaching and teaching. Come on, in the famous words of my good friend, this is going to be a treaching, okay? You're going to get some teaching and some preaching. Look at this. It says, and when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water and behold. Now, now the beholding is not the heavens open up. The beholding is what the heavens are opening up to. Are you catching that? So when he's saying, I need you to pay attention, he's not saying, I need you to pay attention because the focal point of this scene is not the heavens opening up. The focal point of this scene is that the heavens are opening up to someone. In other words, I need you to do what the heavens are doing. Open your eyes and see what's happening. Look what happens. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And here it goes again, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So when he says, behold, the voice from heaven begins to speak, he's not saying behold the voice of heaven so that you can get caught up in the voice. It's so that you can get caught up in who the voice is directing you to. And what he says is, he says, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, don't get caught up with the heavens opening. Don't get caught up with the, the dove descending. Don't get caught up with the voice. What you need to get caught up in is what those things are caught up in. You need to be captivated by the one I'm directing you to. Behold my beloved son who I am well pleased. And over and over again, we would see this invitation to us all. Hey, would you, would you just look at my son? Would you look at Jesus? I, I love it because do you know that God says these very words, not only in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, he says these very words coming to the close of Jesus' ministry. He says this in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 through 8. He says, after six days, Jesus took him. This is Peter. Anybody love Peter? Peter was just like, I could relate to Peter. You know what I'm saying? Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them at a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just as 
Then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Continue. While he was still speaking, uh, excuse me, you know you talk a lot when God is cutting you off. He says that Peter's in mid-sentence. God is like, shut your mouth. When God is telling you to shut up, you talk too much. And my boy Peter couldn't stop talking. My po- my bo- I love Peter because Peter is like so real and I can relate to him so much. Peter's like, oh my God, this, this moment is amazing. Oh, Elijah showed up representing the prophets. Moses showed up representing the law. Yo, we got Jesus, we got Eli, we got Mo. We, oh my, this is a... Jesus, if you want right now, I'll pitch a tent and we'll be just singing kumbaya right here. It'll just be us. No, none of the other, just us right here. And as he's communicating, God shuts him up. As if to say, your eyes are focused on the wrong thing. How could my eyes be focused on the wrong thing when so much is happening? Moses is here. Elijah is here. Look at Jesus. He's shining. And, 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 and God is like, no, excuse me, stop talking. You're missing the point. Now watch this. And when the disciples heard this, they fell. No, no, no. He goes, while he was still speaking, a bright, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said this, this is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased. Here he goes, listen to him. Shut up, Peter. Listen to him. When the disciples, when the disciples heard it, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. And he says, get up. He said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. No, no, Peter, it's, it's not about Elijah for Jesus came to fulfill the prophets. It's not about Moses for Jesus is the one that fulfills the law. It's not even about this moment that you're trying to encapsulate and look at it as a memorial and say, oh, this is an amazing moment. No, you don't understand. You need to have your gaze and you need to have your attention and you need to give yourself and be caught up with this one person. His name is Jesus. All the while you've been traveling with him and now you're seeing him for who he is and you're trying to create a moment out of it. But I'm trying to teach you that you need to meditate on Jesus day and night. You need to be caught up in the person of Jesus this is exactly the invitation that he makes to every believer and non-believer alike it's not so that you can subscribe to a religion it's not so that we can sing a couple of songs and read a couple of scriptures it's so that we would have our gaze on the person and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus to be caught up with 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 him and his presence and now scripture begins to make sense to me because now I realize that Mary discovered something Because in the story of Mary and Martha, look look what takes place. 
As they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village, and a woman by the name Martha welcomed him. In other words, she had, she had looked at him, but she wasn't gazing at him. She had glanced over to him, but she wasn't making him her focus. And she made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all that she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting the master. Don't you care that my sister has abandoned me, has abandoned the kitchen to me? This is how I feel in my own house. Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing and only one thing is essential and Mary has chosen it, the main course, and it won't be taken away from her. Did you see it? No, Martha, 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 you're not catching it. Martha, you don't understand that Mary has, she has caught something. She's gazing. She's, she's captivated. She's mesmerized. She is caught up in my presence. And I get it, Martha. There's a lot of things that you are getting caught up with, but there's something that she has discovered and I'm not going to take it away from her. And matter of fact, you can't take it away from her because when you are caught up in the presence of God, there's nothing else that matters. When you are caught up in the goodness of his grace and the splendor of his love, when you are caught up with the person of Jesus, nothing else matters and I know that we can preach messages is how do we do better when someone's in the room who's lazy and you got to do more and you're carrying the weight all on your shoulders that's a great message but that message is not for here right now the message that God wants to speak to some people in this moment is would you get caught up in my presence would you behold him which begs the question Christ uncensored what are you looking at that was my introduction What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Because what you are looking at begins to impact so many areas in your life. What has your attention, what has your focus, what you are caught up with, what is repeating over and over in your mind, what, what you are a captive audience to begins to impact how you live your life and the experiences you have in life. So what is it that you're meditating on? What is, it that, what is it that has become the main course in your life? Because Jesus tells Martha, hey, Mary has found the true main course. And here's what I want you to write down. I want to give you just four bite-sized points real quick. I want you to write this down. Number one, whatever you behold becomes what you feel. Whatever you behold, in other words, whatever has you as a captive audience, whatever you're focused on becomes what you feel. In other words, whatever has your attention becomes the experiences that you have in life. Or it begins to give you the perception and the perspective that you have in life. I love the way Tony Robbins says it. He says, whatever you focus on, you feel. He says, focus becomes your feeling. 
And oftentimes we're like, why is it that I feel this way? Can I just submit to you? Maybe the reason that you feel the way we feel is because we're looking at the wrong thing. And you will always feel whatever you're beholding the most. Look what happened to Martha. You know what she was focused on? Did you see her? Hey, Jesus, can you do something about Mary? I'm over here cleaning up. Why? Because her gaze was on her responsibility. Her gaze was around the things, uh, uh, on the things that were around Jesus, but not Jesus. And sometimes we could even say, God, I don't feel you. Maybe the reason that we don't feel God is because we're in the same position that Martha was. Because Martha didn't feel Jesus either, and Jesus was in the room. Now, she was doing the secondary things. But you know what idol worship is? Idol worship is is when you take something that's second place and make it first in your life. That's all it is. When you take the position of where God is supposed to be and you put something else as your focal point. So whatever it is you behold becomes what you feel. Here's the second thing. Write it down. Whatever you behold becomes the habits you follow. Whatever you behold become the habits you follow. In other words, whatever has your attention, whatever you focus on, eventually become what you begin to repeat in your head, review in your heart, and practice with your behavior. I love using Peter as a case study because Peter had a habit of messing up. But you notice that every time Peter messed up, the reason that he messed up was is because he was focused on the wrong thing. Jesus was in the room, but he was focused on the wrong thing. Jesus was in the room, but he was focused on the secondary things. This is why he, when he denied Jesus, who was he focused on? He wasn't focused on Jesus. He was focused on a little girl that can get him in trouble. This is when he cut someone's ear off. That boy was gangster. Cut someone's ear off. He was focused on the wrong thing. When you, whatever you behold becomes the habits you follow. Number three, whatever you behold becomes what you feed on. Whatever you behold becomes what you feed on. In other words, whatever your focus is becomes what you feed yourself on. Do you know that there's things in your life that you were never meant to feed on? And the only reason that you are feeding your soul with it is because you spend enough time with it. How many know you spend enough time with something... You, you, you give your attention to something enough. That's why, that's why I tell, like, dating advice, dating advice, just spend, time, spend enough time. Oh, but he's ugly. I bet you. After six months of spending time with that brother, you know what? He got some cute, cute, crooked teeth. Yeah. <laughs> because the thing that you were pulling back from, you become attracted to. When you spend enough time with it. What happened, to, what, what happened to Adam and Eve? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when the fruit became pleasing to them and good enough. In other words, there was one time that they saw the fruit and they were repelled by the fruit. But they spent enough time walking around the tree that they became attracted to the fruit. What you behold, you feed yourself. 
itself on. What about the prodigal son? The prodigal son was in a pigsty, and when he was in the father's house, he would never look at what the pigs were eating and then have an appetite for it. But you spend enough time in the pigsty, you start looking at what the pigs were meant to eat, and you start saying, man, that looks good. What you behold, you begin to feed on. Here's the last one. What you behold becomes the life you fulfill. So what you behold becomes the life that you fulfill. It becomes the life you fulfill. Whatever it is that has your attention, whatever has your focus, whatever it is that has you captivated, if it's a relationship, if it's a career, whatever has you captivated, whatever, if it's your worry, you ultimately become what you're beholding. And this is why it's so important that we decide today, what is it that you are looking at? What is it that you're looking at? This is why uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says it this way. It says, us who have unveiled faces, the veil has been removed. Everything that stopped you from beholding and seeing Jesus for who he is has been removed. Now beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord as we are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. Did you catch that just now? I'm going to say that again. So what he's saying is, there's something about beholding Jesus that begins to change you, not to become more of what you want to become, but become more of what you're looking at, which in this case is the glory of God. And so I'm, if I'm beholding the glory of God, the more I behold the glory of God, the more I become the glory of God and go from glory to glory. And so now I'm becoming the very thing that I am beholding. And so whatever you behold, you ultimately become. If I'm beholding my worry, I become a worrier. If I behold my fears, then I become the sum total of my fears. But if I behold God, Whew. If I, if I just spent, see, so many of us have been looking to transform our lives and we're looking to change and we're looking for self-help books and we're looking for things that will maybe improve our behavior. But the apostle Paul seems to think, what if you would just spend a little bit more time gazing at the magnitude and the glory of Jesus? What if you were just captivated by his grace and love? I wonder what would happen to your life. No, I need medication. I need self-improvement. No, God is saying, would you behold me? It's no wonder that the more I behold him, the more my life begins to change. The more I behold him, the more of, a, of the life that I fulfill in purpose. So if you begin to behold the glory of Jesus, what is it that begins to happen? You begin to feel his presence. You begin to follow his example. You begin to feed on his goodness. And you begin to fulfill your, pres fulfill your purpose in him. Why? Because you will be holding his majesty. So I want to ask you this question. Have you ever taken your eyes off Jesus? Three people. Tres personas. El diablo es un mentiroso. Have you ever taken your eyes off? Have you ever been like Peter who you had your eyes fixed on him? 
you were focused, you were laser beamed, and somehow you took your eyes off him. And somehow the raging winds became louder than the radiance of his beauty. Have you ever been like Mary who, who you, you, you welcomed Jesus, you opened up the doors of your, of your heart to him, and you were captivated by his goodness, and you welcomed him in your home, but in doing so, somehow, you didn't make this like intentional decision to be distracted. You just somehow got caught up with something else and someone else and some goal or some kind of situation. You got caught up with, with the responsibilities of life that you forgot to reflect on him. Have you ever taken your eyes off Jesus? Because here's what I realized in my own life, and I don't know if this is for you too, but, but I've realized that any time that I fell back into sin, any time that I fell back into my worry, every time that I made it about me, every time I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders, when I trace back, it's a moment that I took my eyes off him. I took my eyes off, eyes off Jesus. Yeah, there, there I go again, making it about row. Everybody should have said amen right there, okay? Because you know that you have a master's degree on making it about me. I, I made it about me again. I've made it about what I'm dealing with. I've made it about what I'm going through. And Jesus makes an invitation to us all. He says, come to me. Come to me. But he doesn't say come to me just to come to me. Watch this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on a religion? Come to me. Get away with me. Here it goes. You'll rediscover your life. I'll show you. He says, I need you to do a little bit more watching. You're doing too much doing and say, God, watch me. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. God is saying, no, no, hold on. You need to learn how to be a better watcher of my presence, a better gazer of my beauty. Come and behold the majesty of his glory. And here's the first thing. Like maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor Ro, how can I behold him? How can I behold the beauty and the majesty of Jesus? And I want to give you three practical ways that we can behold the beauty of Jesus. And here's the first one. Behold his wonder. Write that down. Behold his wonder. Behold his wonder. What do I mean? That there's eight wonders or nine wonders of the world and all of them combine pale in comparison to the magnificent of his glory. That there is nothing more precious, nothing more valuable in all of creation than the person of Jesus. That Jesus is more precious than any crystal that you can ever find. He's more radiant than a thousand stars combined. That he is the embodiment of love and joy and peace and kindness all together. That there is nothing more beautiful and nothing more amazing than the person of Jesus. Oh God, that we may be an awestruck wonder of your goodness, an awestruck wonder of your glory, that we may be captivated by your grace, that we be enamored by your goodness, that we may be caught up with 
The beauty of Jesus. What do you do when they talk about you? Just get caught up in the beauty of Jesus. What do you do when his promises haven't been fulfilled? Just get caught up in the beauty of Jesus. What does it feel like when your timeline doesn't line up with what's happening right now in life? Just get caught up in the beauty of Jesus. What do you do when you can't forgive and you're trying to figure it out? Just get caught up in the beauty of Jesus. That we would get caught up in his beauty. Because the more you get caught up in his beauty, the more everything around you will make, will be less and less valuable and won't take a first priority and a first importance. I'll never forget one time as I was producing music, this is about, I want to say, maybe 15 years ago. And I know you guys are probably like, well, you were like 15. <laughs> but I remember I was, I was producing music and my whole computer shut down. Like it, everything blanked out. I lost all my music. And I looked at God and I said, how dare you? <laughs> Even the things of God we make it about. And so the image that we are most looking at is, that's why it says as in a mirror. He says the same way you look at a mirror and you see when there's something wrong, you take care of it. He goes, you need to look at God. See, because when you look in the mirror, you, you're looking at what you think you look like. But what you're looking at is what your body looks like. But when you're looking at the glory of God, you're looking at what you, was, you were always meant to look like. And so you need to behold his wonder. Number two, behold his work. In other words, Jesus said that if you, don't, if you can't believe me, believe my work. Believe the miracles. And so what does that mean? That means that when you can't see God's heart, you can always look at his hand. And sometimes we can't figure out God's heart, but we got to trust it. But you can always look at God's hand and look at God if you did it before. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my own life when I feel discouraged. And I remember, I remember the things that he took me out of. I remember when I was about three years old and I swallowed a screw. And I look at that moment and I passed out. And I was, I was already dead, passed out, dead complete. My father and my mother didn't know what to do. I was lifeless. And they took a a, a, a bottle of oil and they drained it inside my mouth and I and they began to pray and speak in tongues and I spit out that screw and God raised me from the dead. I don't know about you but in those moments when I feel discouraged I can behold his work in my life and I say God if you did it yesterday God you can do it today and I trust that you can do it tomorrow is there anybody here in this place that says I can behold what he's done in my life and as a matter of fact I know that if you've done it in Lisa's life, if you've done it in Emily's life, if I've seen you do it in John's life, then I know that you're not an accept, you're not, you don't make exception of people. You can do it in my life too. You can behold his, his, his work. You can behold his wonder, but you can behold his, his work. And I'm going to ask you to stand up for this one as we have five minutes left in this message. And Reuben alluded that I would go over, but here we go again, me proving him wrong. 
you can behold his word. And I, and I just want to read this to you. I'm, I'm just going to ask the keyboardist if you can join me here and play the song that we're going to jump into. But I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me. He says, I want you to read these scriptures over my children. And so with your permission, I would like to read these scriptures over you. And I'm going to ask you right there where you are that we would behold him through his word. Because the Bible says that in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God. And then the word became flesh. So when we are beholding his word, we're beholding the person of Jesus. And I want to I share with you in those moments when we need to behold his wonder, we need to behold his work, we can also find ourselves beholding his word. So would you close your eyes right there where you are? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the sun is far greater than any angel. And he has been given the name that is above all names. Would you come and behold him? Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 22. He, Jesus, existing before anything was created, is supreme over all creation. And through him God created everything in heaven, in the heavenly realms, and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything and his whole holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Come and behold him. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 and 11. I want to read this over you. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declares that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father would you come and behold him
John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who he himself is God is near to the Father's heart and has revealed God to us. Would you come and behold him? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 as the worship team comes up. Christ rules above all heavenly rulers, authorities, powers, and lords. He has the title superior to all titles of authority in this world and in the next. Would you come and behold him? says that he opens the eyes of our hearts do you see his beauty can you see his majesty I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to to some of us in this place maybe you've taken your eyes off of Jesus maybe you've taken your gaze off of him when everything else around you has now taken your attention. Today he invites us again. Would you come and behold him? This last verse in Hebrews I want to read to you as the worship team gets ready. This, this verse preaches by itself, Will. It preaches by itself. Look what it says. It says, we must never... something when I was dying on the cross there was a joy that was set before me there was a joy that I was captivated by there was a joy that I was enamored with there was a joy that I was mesmerized and you know what that joy was was unity with you he goes you know what's the image that I had when I was when I was on the cross it's to be captivated by you. It's to be mesmerized by you. It's to be caught up in grace with you. It's to be in that, have my arms wrapped around you. Come and behold him. You can look to Jesus and you can never stop looking at Jesus. Why? Because when he was on the cross, he never took his eyes off. With every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're in this place, if you're in this place, you say, Pastor Roe, 
sure glad this is a judgment-free zone. Because I, in moments in my life, have made the secondary thing become the main thing. And I've blinked and I've taken my eyes off Jesus. If that's you in this place, God wants to invite you to behold him. At the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. If you are watching online, I want you to do the same thing. At the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand right there where you are. You say, Pastor Roe, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I want to come and behold him. One, two, three. Lift up your hand all over this room. Come on. Come, run to this altar. Would you just come, come to run to this altar? I want to pray for you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Run to this altar. 